good. You guys, uh, last winter, my parents were targeted by a very sophisticated network of scammers. On the day they filed their tax with this tax forms with the CRA, my dad was sitting downstairs watching a rerun of MASH in, in the basement when he got a text message from the Canadian Revenue Agency saying that he had misfiled his paperwork and that if he didn't give them some information right away, that he was going to be subject to fines and late fees. And because this happened on the very same day he filed, it, let, like it, it lent a little bit of credibility to the text message, right? And, and so my parents ended up giving away a little bit of information to this scam. And before they realized it was a scam, and luckily they caught it really quick, so they weren't, you know, nothing really bad happened. They had to change a few passwords and login information, but they, they were okay. Nothing really bad came for it. Scammers are just the worst. I don't know, like, if there's like a special place in the pits of darkness for people who scam other people, I just can't understand why you would do that to another human being. They lie to you and they take advantage of your trust. And I, I, I like to think I have a pretty good scam radar, personally. Like, I, I, I see scams coming from a mile away. And, uh, and, and this is important because scammers like to target churches, right? We like to help people, right? This is a big part of what we do as a church. And scammers like to take advantage of churches and their desire to help people in need. And so a couple of weeks ago, I got uh, an email from a nice little old lady who lives here in Fort McMurray. And she told me that her husband had recently passed and that she was downsizing and she had to get rid of some things. Uh, she described some locations in Fort McMurray and uh, told me about the town and their lives here a little bit. And, and, uh, and she told me that her husband, her late husband, was a piano player and that he was really good, but that she didn't play, and without him around, she had to get rid of this really big piano. And she told me the model number of the piano. It was a very expensive piano. And she said, she asked, do I have anybody in my church with young kids who are musically gifted who might benefit from the gift of this piano, this very nice, expensive piano? <laughs> you can see where this is going, right? It was a scam. It was a total scam, and I fell for it, hook, line, and sinker, because I knew a nice family like that, the Andre Monroe. Their kids are amazing musicians, and so Sunday came around, I was like, Andre, would you like this free $10,000 piano? You know, like an idiot? Like, like, I, like I'm totally missing it. She's like, well, it seems kind of sketchy, Lucas, but yeah, maybe I'll follow up on it, right? <laughs> And so the very, she did connect with this lady. What was the very first thing she wanted? It was like money for a moving fee, right? Something like, yeah. So like it was a scam. It was, they got me. I fell for it. I was a dummy. I was duped. Luckily, Andrea's scam radar is much better than mine. It doesn't feel good to get scammed, right? Though if you've been scammed, you know it doesn't feel good to be taken advantage of, for your trust to be misused, to be lied to, to be deceived. Here's the thing, there is a master scam artist who has each one of us in his sights, and he hates us. He is the one who wants to see nothing more than for you and I to fail, 
And throughout Scripture, he's called the evil one, the devil, or Satan. He is the enemy of your souls. Now, I know if you're not a Christian or if you're, 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 you're kind of just somebody dragged you here, you know, and you don't want to be here, and you're like, oh, great, he's going to talk about the devil. And it's like, sure, the devil exists, right? Here for us today, we are a spiritual people. We believe in a spiritual existence. And we believe there is an enemy of our souls that wants nothing more than to see us fail. And so we've got a name for him, the devil, Satan, the liar. Jesus talked about him. Jesus said this about him. He says, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. He's the king of scams. Jesus didn't say that part. Jesus says he is the father of lies. Peter described him as a lion who prowls around looking for someone to devour. And John described him as the accuser of the people of God. Here's the thing. There are people out there who act like every, every bad thing that happens in their life was because of the devil. Listen, he's just one person. You're not that important, right? Not everything that happens in your life is the devil. I think giving more credit to the devil, to, to, the, to, to evil, more credit than it deserves is a big mistake that we can make. But I think equally as dangerous as giving the devil too much attention is giving him none. To trivialize him and to act like he doesn't exist. Scripture describes the devil and the demonic as being a very real, present problem for people of faith. And here in Fort City, we are spiritually minded people, and we believe that there is a realm or a universe or whatever you want to call it, a spiritual place that exists just beyond what we can see and feel. And we believe that the enemy of our souls, the father of lies, seeks to distort the truth and to lead us away from God. Lying is his specialty. In the same verse that Jesus describes Satan as the father of lies, he says this, He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And then Jesus kind of laments a bit. He says, so when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Jesus is saying that when we believe the lies of the accuser, we miss out on the truth of our Creator. When we give in to the scams of the evil one, we miss out on the emotional and spiritual health Jesus wants for each one of us. And right now we're in the middle of this message series that we've called Christian Atheist. And last week we talked about how a Christian atheist is somebody who believes in God, but lives like God doesn't exist. And today we're going to talk about another problem that comes alongside Christian atheism. It's when you believe in God but believe the lies of the devil. And Jesus was certainly not silent about this sort of thing at all. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus set himself up as being in complete opposition to Satan. And Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants you to know a life full of good. He wants you to experience wholeness and healing. He wants you to know that you were made on purpose for a purpose. Jesus wants you to know your identity as a child of God, someone 
he loves, someone he cares about. He knows your name. That's the truth. That you are saved by grace and grace alone. Early in his ministry, Jesus uh, was teaching at the temple. and As tended to happen when Jesus taught, a crowd began to gather. People were enamored with what Jesus was saying and teaching. They had never heard anything like what he was saying. He, he was inspired, he was interesting, and he spoke with authority that the regular teachers of the day didn't seem to have. In fact, this very point made Jesus their target. The Pharisees and the teachers were frustrated that everyone was falling around and talking about and listening to this new guy. They felt threatened by the growing influence Jesus had over the crowds. Who was this day laborer from a town nobody ever heard of? And who does he think he is coming into our temple and teaching our people? They hated him and they were jealous. And time and time again, what they tried to do was publicly trap Jesus into saying something that he would regret. To publicly shame him in front of everybody and make him say something that they could use against him. And one of their tactics was to harass him about healing people on the Sabbath. They didn't like that he did that. And as a rabbi and as a Jew, it was important for Jesus to follow those, those laws, right? The, the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And so they confront Jesus when he would heal somebody on the Sabbath. And every single time, Jesus found a way to make it make sense and, and, and dance around their attacks. Jesus found a way around their arguments. This tactic for them, this Sabbath thing, it wasn't working. They had to change tactics. They had to up the ante. They had to make it something more scandalous. Something people would talk about. Something Jesus wouldn't be able to dance around and get out of. And so Jesus is teaching in the temple this day, right? A crowd has gathered and suddenly a mob of angry men storm into the area that he's teaching in. And they're yelling and they're kicking up dust and they're making a scene. And then suddenly they throw a woman at the feet of Jesus and dust spills up everywhere. She's crying and she's trying to catch her breath and, and there's lines running down her face from where she's been crying. She has no head covering and she's hardly dressed to be in public. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They've laid a trap. You see, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And in this ancient world, right, it's offensive to our modern sensibilities. I get it. In this ancient world, it would not be uncommon to punish somebody with death. In addition to all of this, that kind of accusation of adultery had to be corroborated by two witnesses. And here there's a whole group of witnesses saying she was caught in adultery. Jesus might be able to sidestep their accusations of healing on the Sabbath, but there's no way he can ignore this blatant sexual sin. There's something about sexual sin back then and even now that we kind of treat it like it's way worse than all the other ones, right? That's what's happening here. It's too scandalous for Jesus to ignore. That's what they're thinking. And honestly, like, this isn't, where's the man, right? Like, it takes two to tango, and yet it's just her. 
right? This, this is not about justice. This is not about the law. This is about evil men doing evil things, trying to trap Jesus. If he did nothing, this could destroy his reputation as a rabbi. Verse 6 continues. I'm going to read the rest of the story for you. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Jesus is so sassy sometimes. And they kept demanding an answer. And so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again to write in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. The story is so offensive to our modern sensibilities that this woman's life was in jeopardy because of what happened to her. But the mob in this ancient time would have been justified in carrying out this horrible act that they called justice. It's just the way it was. But what I love about Jesus is that he was rarely concerned with keeping the status quo. Just because it's the way we've always done it was not a good enough reason for Jesus. When Jesus looked down at this desperate woman thrown into the dust at his feet, he didn't care about the scandal. He didn't care about the expectations of the mob. He cared about her. About a lost one searching for meaning and love and hope in all the wrong places. He saw someone he loved. He saw her not as she was in that moment, but as she was created to be. And sin has consequences. There's no way around this. Sin is just not good for you or for me. It has negative consequences. It hurts us. It hurts the people we love. It hurts our families and friends. It damages relationships that are important to us. And yet still, still we sin even though it's not good for us. And yet still we give in to selfishness and bitterness and greed and lust. And just like this woman, we find ourselves dragged down into the dust, surrounded by a circle of accusers who point their wretched fingers at us, telling us lies. You are unworthy. You are unlovable. You're good for nothing. You're an embarrassment. You're a bad husband and father. You're a bad wife and mother. You're hopeless. The world would be better if you weren't in it. You are only the sum of all the bad decisions that you've ever made in your life. The frenzied lies of the mob of the accusers can be deafening, but not to Jesus. He sees and he hears clearly. And he's the only one who can look at you and tell you who you really are. You see, Jesus offers his mercy, right? Withholds the judgment, withholds the consequences that we rightly deserve. He offers us mercy. And in his place, he gives us grace. A gift of life that you and I could never earn or deserve on our own, but he gives it 
anyways. He withholds the consequences of our decisions and gives us the grace, the fullness of his life that we could never earn or deserve on our own. And too many of us have received this good grace of God and still believe the lies of the devil. Too many of us have given our hearts over to the one who loves us more than anything, but still believe the lies of the accuser. And this is a question. I think this is a good question we should ask ourselves on a regular basis. When we pray, when we are, have quiet time with God, when we're driving to work in the car and ju it's just us, and we can say, what lies do I believe about myself? What lies does the accuser hurl in my direction? <laughs> Do you guys want a pop culture reference? Do you guys know the movie Labyrinth? The 1986 fever dream from creator of Muppets, director Jim Henson, starring David Bowie? Very pop culture, right? Very relevant pop culture reference. Guys, this movie was the craziest movie I ever saw. If you saw it, you also know how insane it is. It's, it's, it's this movie about a sister who has to travel through a labyrinth to rescue her baby brother who's been kidnapped by, you guessed it, David Bowie. And it's the weirdest movie. This is not a recommendation. Don't go watch it. It's so terrible. It's, it's horrible. But the whole problem of the movie starts at the beginning when this little baby's his, his older sister, she wishes for him to disappear. That's the beginning of the movie. It's in the first couple of minutes. The sister wishes for her baby brother to disappear. And when I watched this movie as a little kid, that was the part that scared me the most. Not the monsters and the weird Muppets and the scary music. It was this thought that maybe people in my life who I thought loved me didn't love me. Maybe they would wish one day for me to disappear. Of course, they would never feel that way. Of course, they loved me. But I would lay in my bed at night for, for a, I'm, I, my, my kid memory might be awful. It felt like forever, night after night, laying in my bed at night, anxious that my family maybe didn't love me, that maybe my parents would wish for me to disappear and David Bowie would show up and take me away. See, my anxiety was unfounded. Right? My parents loved me. They, 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 they really loved me. They, were, they told me all the time how much they loved me. The problem was is I began to believe this lie. This stupid, silly, almost unbelievable lie took root in me. That my family didn't want me. So one night, as a stupid little kid, I knock on my parents' door and go into the room, and I just start bawling, right? Crying. Would you ever wish for me to disappear? If you're a parent, you know this has happened, right, to you. Your kids come in with something crazy. And my mom is just like, oh, no, we love you. You're so great. We would never wish for you to disappear. And that night, I slept like a baby with no fears of David Bowie coming to steal me away. The only thing that could fix this lie that I was telling myself was the truth. The truth 
sets all things straight. So what lies do you believe about yourself, about your family, about your life and your future? What keeps you at night awake, worrying? What scam is the accuser running in your life? We're going to go through a, a practical process now, actually, together, and ask this question together. I'm going to invite Josh to come back up and give us some background music while we do that. We're going to actually ask this question because the only antidote to a lie is the truth. And Jesus said it this way, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this week, as I sat in my office preparing for today's message, I'll be very honest with you. I felt a weight, a spiritual weight on my shoulders. And I felt the, the Holy Spirit whisper to my heart that this Sunday, this day, there were going to be people in this room who needed to walk away and replace a lie of the enemy with the truth of their Savior. I believe Jesus wants to do that for some of us in the room today. And so we're going to take a moment and enter into just a short little period of listening prayer together. Because I believe this morning, Jesus wants to give some of us a gift. His truth and his blessing and his freedom. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask us in a few moments... I'm going to ask a group question, a question I want us all to take a bit of time just to reflect on. And we're just going to be silent together in the room. The band will play a little bit to, to give us, uh, so it's not super awkward, it's super quiet. And we're just going to reflect on this question, and we're going to invite Jesus. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to help us to answer this question. Because, guys, if we believe the accuser of our souls has the ability to convince us of lies, then we surely must believe that Jesus has the ability to speak to each one of us his truth. Fort City, we believe Jesus isn't done speaking, that he wants to speak still yet to each one of us. One of the primary ways he does that is through Scripture. Another way he does it is through the Holy Spirit speaking directly to our hearts and our minds. And so we're going to take this moment together and ask this question and invite Jesus, invite the Holy Spirit to help us to answer this question. Because you, you'll know this, if, if you've believed a lie before, you don't know it's a lie until you know the truth. So you might be believing the lies of the enemy right now and not even knowing it's a lie. And so I just want us to take a moment. It's nothing crazy, nothing over the top. We're just going to take a moment, ask a question, and listen to Jesus. And so if you'd like, just take a posture of listening. You can close your eyes. It might make it a little easier. You won't feel like you're in a room with a hundred other people as you do this. But we're going to just take a moment. You can close your eyes. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak and we're going to move in this place. And then I'm going to ask us a question. And I just want you to reflect. Invite Jesus to help you to answer this question. So let me pray for us first. Jesus, I just pray that all the distractions that we have in our hearts and our minds right now in the room will just disappear. That Jesus, the anxieties and the frustrations and the uncomfortableness that we might feel, that Jesus, that you would just make those disappear too. And Jesus, help us to hear your voice clearly, to see your face in this moment. Jesus, we want to receive truth from you. We want to be better. We want to leave this place better people than when we walked in the door. So Holy Spirit, move and work. Speak clearly. Help us to hear and listen to what you're saying to us. So here's the question I want you to ask. 
And then we'll just take a minute silently to reflect together. Jesus, what lies do I believe about myself, my family, and my future? Here's a truth for you. Jesus wants to replace those lies with his truth. And so I'm going to ask the next question. Jesus, what truth about myself would you like me to believe? About myself, my future, my family. And you can keep your eyes closed. I'm actually going to read through some truths from Scripture. And maybe some of these truths are for you this morning. John 1.12 says, But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's a truth. You are a child of God. Romans 15.7 says, Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Here's a truth. You are accepted. Colossians 2 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also are complete through your union with Jesus Christ. The truth is you are. Genesis 1.27, So God created humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created him. Here is the truth. You are a reflector of the image of God. 1 Corinthians 6, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. It's a truth for you. You have been chosen. 2 Corinthians 9, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. You are blessed. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. 1 John 5.15 He sees you and he hears you. Ephesians 2 For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He has gifted you. You are gifted. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has become. You have been made new. And last from Romans 8. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears of the day. Nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus. You are loved. This is the truth. This is the truth. And hope 
Love is on the move when the father's in the room. Prison doors fling wide, the dead come to life. Love is on the move when the father's in the room. Miracles take place, the cynical find faith. Love is breaking through when the father's in the room. Jericho walls are quaking, strongholds now are shaking. Love is breaking through when the father's in the room. Love is breaking through when the father's in the room. Oh, lay your burdens down. Oh, here in the father's house, check your shame at the door. It ain't welcome anymore. Oh. house. It's my prayer this morning that love is on the move in your heart and your mind and your soul. And as you go from here this morning, it's my prayer that you leave knowing a truth about yourself. That you leave less burdened. You believe the, the truth of your Savior and not the lies of your accuser. You know, this idea of replacing a lie for a truth, of doing soul work, is a big part of what happens in our Soul Care Conference. If you have questions about that, come ask me. I'd love to talk about the conference and get you connected. And this morning, if you'd like, over on the side of our stage, as we finish our service, there's going to be a prayer team. Some uh, people who have uh, committed to praying for people, taking them uh, to Jesus, to going to God on their behalf, and they'd love to pray with you. If, if there's something you need prayer for, someone you need prayer for, they'd love to pray with you. So you can just come over to the this side of the room and you can even make a line they'll 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 pray with you this morning